G'day there, fellow humans. It's Mark LeBusk here again for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And um, a little bit of a twist for this episode, I'm it. Not that I can't find any guests. I've got plenty of great guests lined up for us over the next uh, few months. But uh, I've been asked a bit recently, can we hear a little bit more from you and some of your thoughts on different things? So I just thought to myself, I'll be a bit self-indulgent today and uh, share with you a few bits and pieces, particularly around what I call the topic of the I told you so's. And uh, those four words that when put together become very, very powerful, whether or not You've, all, you've said to somebody else, I told you so, as in I told you that that wouldn't work. And that's how we usually use this phrase. Or the more courageous one is when, or unpopular one, is when you're having that conversation with yourself and what I say, going against your gut or your intuition or your gut feel. And somewhere down the track, you hear a little voice say, told you so. But you sort of don't want to listen to that because it usually means that you've fucked something up. So that's where I'm going to head today. I'm going to share with you 10 I told you so's. I'm going to talk a little bit about them. And I want you to reflect on some questions that I'll put to you for you to think a little bit more about where are those times when you have used the words I told you so against someone or whenever you use them to look back in the mirror at yourself. This is a Simply Practically Human podcast. Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LeBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Well, here we are, uh, fellow humans, and it's just Mark with Mark today on an episode of the Simply Practically Human podcast. Let's get into this topic, the uh, what I call, which I wrote about in my second book called The Little Book of Human. Tales, tools, and I told you so's. So we're going to focus today on the third part there, which is the I told you so's, and just those four words and how they impact on your mindset, whether you're going with a fixed mindset, whether you're going with a growth mindset, how they tend to work in a group setting, and how they tend to work when it's just the individual looking at themselves. So we're going to play around a bit with that, or I'm going to play around with that and give you some examples of real-life situations, things that happen in not just in the workplace but in life as well and how these words can be really powerful to help you to grow and to challenge yourself, be more courageous looking back into your mirror or how they can be used as a weapon by you onto others. So let's start with that one. And the I told you so has, I think, really become popular in the group setting. Now, whether that's a group as in in your workplace, it could be at, at home, it could be in your community, could have been when you were going to school or at university, whatever. But when you're in that group setting and just imagining for a moment that somebody's talking, somebody's coming up with an idea, someone's putting something out there and all of a sudden there's a bit of a pregnant pause and someone will drop those words out. I told you so. I told you that wouldn't work. I told you that was a stupid idea. I told you we never should have gone down that path. I told you that was a waste of time. I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you so. And we keep hearing that. And it sort of turns into what I call a pissing contest. 
and a contest between human beings in a in an environment where instead of working together, you start to work apart. It's pretty much like playing the game of who's right, and I call it the game of rightness. So the ability for us to throw that term in, and almost like we're sitting there, and think about this, we're sitting there and we're waiting for the opportunity to say to someone, I told you so. I told you it wouldn't work. I told you it was a waste of time. I told you there are other ways to do this and you didn't listen to me. Now, this, I think, can be something that we can overcome by being more curious than confrontational and being more conversational with people than getting into conflict. And, you know, there is a lot of pressure on people. I get that. There's a pressure to be right. There's a pressure to come up with the next great idea. And that creates this level of competitiveness that I think is unhealthy in the workplace today. People looking to be able to say to other people, I told you so, from a negative perspective, to put them back in their place. But really, when I look at it, it's not so much to put people back in their place. It's more about standing out and being the person that looks the smartest, the smartest person in the room, the person that's right. And I just think we've got to stop this. We've got to stop being in that situation where these four words can create a whole lot of damage and then start to look at them from another angle. And this is the harder one. So we move now from the group setting of telling other people, I told you so, I told you that it was wrong, et cetera, et cetera, to then looking at it as an individual and just imagining for the moment. And I think we've all had these moments, I certainly have myself, where whether we call it intuition, whether we call it gut feel, our first impressions, that thing that we ignore, and then later on, we work out that we got it wrong. I think one of the greatest examples I can think of is hiring people. And you go into that interview and there's someone that you're interviewing and something just doesn't feel right. The first few minutes, you're like, there's something not right here. But you're reading that CV and the CV is looking really, really sensational. The person's got great background, great experience, great knowledge, great results, particularly great results. But there's something that's eating away at you there and you're thinking to yourself, this doesn't feel right. But you go ahead, as we all do, as we've all done, as I've done, and we hire someone. And usually there's that bit of honeymoon period and then you start to see some things that start to trigger you and you start to get that feeling that you had in that interview process one of the really challenging parts here for us, though, fellow humans, is we then find it hard to say to ourselves, rather than saying it to someone else, which seems to be the easy path, to say to ourselves, I told you so. I told you you shouldn't have made that decision. But what we tend to do then is we just brush that away because we're starting to have to look at ourselves and the things that we've done that have created a situation that is not working. But as I said, we push these things to the back rather than face up to them. We've ignored our gut, we've ignored our intuition, we've ignored our first impression. And I just wonder why that is. And I think, again, it's about protection. We're trying to protect ourselves. If you've made a decision to bring someone into your business or some other decision in your life that didn't go right, rather than having the conversation with yourself and getting curious and going down the pathway of thinking about why you did that, why you went against how you were feeling at the time, why you went straight to head 
and not to heart and gut and almost looking for excuses and looking for stories and looking for things to say it's going to work out okay when you know damn well that it isn't. So this whole idea of I told you so is what I wanted to share today is really focusing around what I'm going to call the unpopular side of the I told you so is it's when you're looking back at yourself. It's those uncomfortable moments where you didn't hold your nerve, you didn't listen to your gut, and then things blew up. And then you're sitting there going, finding all the excuses under the sun as to why it wasn't you, why you had to think more strategically, fancy word that one, I was being strategic, even though my gut was telling me that this was the wrong call, I'll start to throw in some corporate wank words that will make me feel better. So we're going to focus today. I've got 10 I told you so's that I'm going to share with you. And as I'm sharing these with you, I might also drop in a couple of little questions here and there for you to reflect upon at the end of this episode, or even now, take some notes down. I'm going to share these with you. And the first one, the first I told you so, is to beware of the high-performing arsehole which very much lines up with what I talked about then. And I think this is one of the most common ones in the workplace is we get attracted to some short-term gains in the way of results. We get attracted to the shiny and sharp CV that someone's had created very, very nicely for them. That's very much about their technical proficiency, their ability to reduce costs or their ability to generate revenue or to think strategically or to collaborate, all those sort of lovely weasel type words we see in CVs today. But there's something that's not quite right about this person, but you ignore that. And here's what we see happen. It impacts upon the team because there's somebody in the team, even though their results are good, they're a high-performing arsehole and the way they're behaving is working against the team and the culture that you're trying to create in the team and the values that you hold as a team and effectively you're starting to set the standard at the lowest possible benchmark that you can. It's the lowest possible base. So whatever that high-performing arsehole is doing becomes the norm, becomes the pattern, becomes the accepted behaviour and pretty soon you're going to piss your people off all because... There was a moment where you felt that something wasn't right, but you ignored that. And ultimately, where it ends up, it impacts upon your reputation. So I just want you to think about this first one, this I told you so, of beware of the high-performing arsehole. And just think about a time where you could have said, I told you so, to yourself three or four months down the track. Maybe you're back in your car out of the car park one night looking in the rear vision mirror and you went, I told you so. I told you this was a bad move, but something got you romanced. So have a think about that. Have a think what it did to you. Have a think about what it did to other people. And also have a think about what it does for the arsehole as well because it just allows them to keep doing what they do, which is behave poorly but get good results and continue to succeed. So that's number one. Number two is what I call the I told you say is to start to remove the weasel words or that corporate jargon out of your language. Those sorts of things like doing more with less. Our people are our most important asset. We hear words like 
right-sizing of organisations now. I hear the word collaboration overused now, the words empowerment or empowering others. All of these words have sort of become the latest fad and I just wonder why we do it because I'm sure, like me, many of you have used those words and almost cringed at the time when you've used them. You've had to share them with your team. There might have been something going on. You know, I've seen some crazy uses of the weasel type words when you know, things like hot desking happens. And we get to the point where we're going to start to sell a story around how it's going to make everyone be more connected and collaborative across the business. You're going to get to meet new people. Yep, I get that that's going to happen. But when you start to roll those words out, what does happen to other people? And even for yourself at the time, and you've got to think about this one too, as you're saying those words and if your bullshit detectors are going off, you can be absolutely assured that the bullshit detectors of the people that you are talking to and you're communicating to are going off about three times quicker than what yours are because you're trying to justify the story by using those weasel words. The others are hearing the story and the bullshit detectors are going at a million miles an hour. So just be careful. Think about this for a minute. Has there been a moment where you've had to roll out the weasel words and it just felt bad, it felt scripted, you actually had a good feeling by looking at your people, their body language, their facial expressions, that their bullshit detectors were going off, but you just ploughed through that. Also think about this. What are some of those words you use? What are some of the weasel words in corporate jargon that you use that is there to serve you or maybe to paint some picture to make it look a bit rosier than what it is and what's the impact that's having on other human beings and when is that moment in time where you get there and say to yourself I told you so I told you Mark you shouldn't have been using those words and now look what's happened number three a favorite of mine one I speak about a lot one I've spoken about a lot on um, other podcasts so bear with me on this one busy or productive so this use of the word busy it has become an epidemic. It has become almost the badge of honour for people where I think what it's all about is creating armour for ourselves to protect us from the fear that we have that if we're not seen to be busy, if we're not seen to be in every meeting, if we're not seen to be at the off-site, if we're not seen to be on back-to-back -back Zooms, if we're not seen to be working early hours of the morning and late at night, that all of a sudden we're in fear of what might happen to us. There's another thing that comes into busyness here, and that's the idea that by being busy, we're not going to let go either. We're going to keep hanging on to things that our people could be doing, and we hang on to them because we want some of the credit for doing those things. You've got to just think about this. When you roll out the words, I'm really busy, or I'm just busy, or I'm flat out, or I'm look, back-to-backs and I've had to, I was in early and I worked late and, you know, I finished that project at 12 o'clock at night and I was sending emails at 2 a.m. What you really are is a busy fool because busyness is something these days that people use to fool others that I think that they're relevant and they shouldn't do that. Because when you play the game of the busy fool, what, you, what can happen is you miss a whole lot of other things you should be doing. 
So throw it away, this badge of honour that we talk about, almost seeing people walking around with it on with almost like a look at me, look on their face, look at how busy I am. I see people as well with phones up to their, tucked into their shoulders, up to their ears, maybe a laptop, a laptop bag, a whole lot of folders and sort of waving to other people as if to acknowledge me, acknowledge how busy I am. So with this I told you so, what do you need to think about is if you continue to play the game of being the busy fool, people are onto it and people will know that you're doing the look at me game rather than looking to be more efficient or more productive. So next time someone says to you, how are you? Don't say to them, I'm busy or I'm flat out or I can't keep up or I've got 300 emails in my inbox or I'm going to back-to-back meetings. Maybe say something like this to them as I do. Hey, I'm pretty productive at the moment. And just notice the look on their face when you say that. The fourth one, and I wear this T-shirt, as many of you know, many T-shirts, the black T-shirts I wear with the words on them, work should never define you. But it does, it defines a lot of people. We get into conversations with people. We get into conversations and it's usually about what do you do? You go to any sort of training program these days virtually or when they're in the room and it's like, let's go around the room and tell us what your title is and what your job is and what do you do? So we are, in essence, becoming defined by our work, by our titles, by, I guess it's some sort of satisfaction that comes with being able to say that I'm the head of something or I'm the director or I'm the VP or I'm the president or whatever it might be. There's, there's something in that that says to us we need to hang on to this because it's the way that we are defined. But what you need to think of is, do you really want to be defined by your title or would you prefer to be defined by the sort of person that you are? So when people are asking you the question, the verb, what do you do or what's your title, maybe say something to them like this, I'm human. And it's not about my title. My title doesn't define me. My work doesn't define me. It's about how I choose to be how I choose to turn up that has a lot more to do about who I am and why I do what I do and it's less about my CV or my last role or the role before that or some sort of pattern that you can see emerging that every time I get a new role, I get a fancier title, maybe a bigger office, a faster car, a bigger house, all of these things that people see on the outside, that call, they call that success. And I just wonder that, as I sort of say to myself, it doesn't take a lot these days, particularly with the way organisations are and the way that business is, is very, very quickly, you could be out of that job, you could be out of that organisation, you could lose that title. And I just wonder then if you'd ask yourself the question, who am I? How do I define myself now that I don't have the title? What do I stand for? And is there some sort of hollow feeling there for me now because I can't walk out and just say, this is what I do. This is what my title is. So never, ever become defined by your work. And as I told you so, I'd be really, really interested if you would sit back, look in your mirror and say to yourself, am I at the moment 
defining myself by my title, by my work, and why is that? And has there been a voice inside you doing the I told you so to you that you've been ignoring? My advice is you start listening to that voice. Number five, this is an interesting one because there's, there's arguments for and against this, but I'm going to really get into the idea that being predictable is dangerous for you. Being predictable is dangerous for you and bringing some unpredictability into you, the way that you show up is something that's going to help you to grow and become a better human being. So what do I mean by that? I have a view that the majority of human beings turn up with really good intention, some maybe with not such good intention. But one of the things we really try and work on is to understand the predictability of each other and use that to our own advantage. Now, that might sound a bit confusing, but just let me give you an example of that. So if somebody knows that when they say A, well, then Mark reacts by going down the pathway of B, well, that person will keep doing that. And if that's the place where they want to get Mark to, so for instance, if someone knows there's a trigger word for Mark that triggers him and they want to get him to that place of being triggered, well, they'll use that trigger word and they know with his predictability that he will head there. So the advice that I give to people and to myself is, is to start to think about being a little bit less predictable, more unpredictable, not wildly unpredictable, just adapting slightly. So think about those times, look into your mirror and think about what are those things that trigger me? Are they comments? Are they particular environments? Is it when a particular person's talking? Is it when I'm put in an environment with people that are at higher levels than me or, or the same level or lower levels than me? What's my body language go like? What are the words that I use? What happens when I get stuck in that moment, when I freeze, when I'm worried about saying something, when I speak too quickly, when I speak too slowly, when I don't speak at all? All of these things are predictabilities and people will be trying to keep you where they want you to be to get what they can out of you. So my advice on this one is be a little bit less predictable. So if you are the person who speaks early in a meeting, just hold off, just hold off for a bit longer. If you are the person that's body language and you're like an open book and they can see it on your face, see if you can just hold that back a little bit. If you're the person who always says, I told you so because you want to be right, just shut it up for a while and don't say anything. Just changing the way that you are slightly will help you to grow and will help you to not be put into situations that can be compromising to you because people get you where they want you to be. Now, how do you know when this unpredictability is working? It usually happens like this. It's pretty simple, but very, very important that you become aware of this. Let's say you've been in a meeting and you've tried a little bit of unpredictability, not too much, but just enough that people could observe it. And you walk out of the meeting and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, um, are you all right? And you're like, 
just say, yep, yeah, I'm fine. How about you? It's usually because you didn't react, respond, behave, speak, remain silent like they're used to, like they want you to be. And they'll come and ask you the question, are you okay? And you'll be like, yep, I'm fine. And just keep working away at that because predictability will hold you back from getting where you want to be. The next one's about reimagining work. And like so many people say to me, we love your work, Mark. We love what you do. This human stuff is amazing. However, and there's always a however or a, or a but or some sort of pregnant pause before. And I'm like, here we go. Here we go. Here it comes. But you can't measure it. And if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. It's all a little bit too soft. This soft skill stuff, this warm, fuzzy, kumbaya stuff that you talk about. So what I want you to think about is what if we started to reimagine that work can be multiple things, that it's not just about hard skills or what people refer to traditionally as soft skills, which I think is a shit term, which I call human skills. Work is about the technical work. It's about the process. It's about the strategy. It's about the policy. It's about lining those things up and getting them right, the planning and, and dealing with that stuff and doing it with precision. But it's also about the human stuff. It's the connections. It's the care. It's the belonging. It's the empathy, the communication, the time for each other. So if you started to reimagine what work was, and you stepped away from this idea that work is what we can measure and what we can measure we can manage and it's about the hard stuff and about getting ahead and it's about the policy and the procedure and just the strategy, I want you to reimagine that there are two types of work here. And the big I told you so here for me was to start to realise that both of those types of work were very important. You see, I get caught up a lot in that it should all be about the human. But what I've started to learn as I've listened to my I told you so voice is that there is much more power in combining both the human work and the technical work to get the sorts of results that we're after. So my big moment in this one was an I told you so that came to me to say, you've got to start to take more notice and emphasize more the importance of the technical work because when you put that together with the human work, Mark, that's where the power comes from. So let's start to reimagine what work is. It's not one or the other, it is both. The next one is what I call the curse of politeness and looking at politeness in a little bit of a different setting here and I say that politeness prolongs progress. So that is the three Ps, politeness prolongs progress. And what I'm talking about here is not that politeness where that etiquette politeness. This is that politeness where we get into a room and we start telling people what they want to hear because telling them what they need to hear, all of a sudden we start to feel like we might be putting ourselves at risk. And even though we all need to hear what we need to hear, there's so many of us that hold back and we become polite in that situation and we say what people want to hear and we nod our heads and we come to an agreement, we play that beautiful game of groupthink and we don't make the progress that we should. 
I see this happen so often in my work. I see it happen so often when I used to be back in the corporate world. I used to participate in this. You'd be in the meeting, you'd all be nodding your heads, being very polite, and then usually leave the meeting, go to a coffee shop, go to the water cooler. I don't know what we do today. Maybe we go into another Zoom call or a Teams call, and then we'll say what needs to be said to maybe a a few other people that believe that that's what was needed to be said as well. But this politeness is holding organisations back. It's holding them back from making the progress they're capable of making because that type of politeness is weak and setting you up for failure, setting you up to become just one of the sheep, one of the followers that just nods the head, says all the right things, does all the right things, says nothing. Saying nothing is also a show of that politeness because you're fearing what might happen if you're the one that says the thing that potentially in the moment causes some people to be offended in their own stories, upset. But just think about it. Progress is made not when we just continue to agree with each other, but when we get a bit scratchy and we start to say what needs to be said rather than what we all want to hear. So from an I told you so perspective, think about those times. What about that time when you, you knew you had to say something, but something told you not to because it would put you at risk, put you at danger, and that's where leadership happens is when you step into a bit of danger and a bit of risk but something said to you, don't do that. And then five minutes later, somebody brought that point up and all of a sudden the team, the department, the organisation had a huge breakthrough and you will hear that voice that says, I told you so, I told you you should have said that, but you didn't and you missed out on your opportunity. Number eight, Really, really simple one, this one. Really simple, I told you so, because it usually ends up when you do say to yourself, I told you so, I told you that that wasn't the right decision to make. I told you that Mark wasn't, he wasn't going to quite make it as the manager. He wasn't going to quite fit what we wanted. He didn't quite, you know, he jumped in the deep end. He couldn't quite find his swim lane, another little bit of corporate jargon couldn't find his way to where he needed to be. He didn't quite fit into the management culture that we have here. And maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because we didn't ask Mark at the start before we promoted him from being a technical expert into a management role of other human beings. We didn't say to him, hey, Mark, are you interested in managing another human being? So my I told you so here is this. Some humans just don't want to manage other human beings. And that's okay. But unfortunately, we work in a system that is based around promoting technical competence. And we, we might have conversations and career conversations. And, and for those that have great career conversations, very productive ones, I applaud you. For those that keep doing these things once a year as a tick the box, this is where you continually get yourself into trouble. We make assumptions that People want to progress through organisations through a management process, through I get to be promoted because I get to start to manage a team. Might be a small team, might be a bigger team. As we get promoted more, we manage more and more people. But we don't ask this question because we just make an assumption that that's what I did, so that's what someone else will want to do. The advice here is 
ask the question, do you want to manage another human being? Because what it's going to save you is that moment, three months, six months, nine months down the track when things are falling apart, when you've promoted Mark into some role and the feedback that you're getting back is that Mark's not a very good manager, he's not spending a lot of time with me, he's micromanaging me, he's getting involved in the technical stuff. He just doesn't seem to be making the progress. We've sent him off on some leadership courses, doesn't seem to be making any difference to him. In fact, he's, he, he used to come in with a bit of a swagger and a bit of a skip in his step and now he sort of walks in the foyer every day or we see him on the calls. He looks like he's dragging his knuckles. He's looking like he's checked out and maybe it's because Mark wasn't asked that question. So the I told you so moment here would be when Mark finally fails in his role and we have to move him on. And, and what tends to happen is within six to nine to 12 months, you can go from having a very highly motivated, engaged human being who is spending discretionary effort to someone who's demotivated, disengaged and quits because they weren't asked a simple question, which was, do you want to manage other human beings? That is a huge I told you so moment for anyone who has been through that. And I know I have as well. I always wanted to manage human beings, but I did put people into roles who really didn't want to do that. And they struggled. And, and it was just like, well, it must be them. They didn't quite cut it. I didn't have the I told you so moment, have that conversation with myself because it wasn't my problem, it was their problem. Whereas in fact, it was absolutely my problem because I didn't have a conversation I should have. Number nine, and because we are so caught up in results and winning business and doing a whole lot of things that make us look good, we have this propensity to always wanna be in the photo. And, and this one for me, is you don't always have to be in the photo. So my I told you so moment is saying to yourself, you don't always have to be in the photo. In fact, if you're a manager, sometimes it's good if you're actually taking the photo and not standing in the front row, particularly if you haven't driven the deal, if you haven't created the environment, you haven't created the result that happened but you're standing there front and centre in the photo with some other poor person who did all the work, maybe hanging onto the camera taking the photo or standing up the back with half the head cut off, you've got to start to think about what that does to people. And there's so much of it, these look-at-me managers who, for some reason, right near the end of a deal, they all of a sudden are talking sales. Now, it could be a whole lot of different things. They want to get in and get the credit, the credit for what's happened. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging the great work of others and allowing them to take the credit and being proud that you've given them the, the space, you've created the space, the safe space for them to step in an experiment, maybe fall over a few times, get back up, get something right that's beneficial to the organisation and it doesn't mean you need to step in to be seen to be the person coming in on the white steed at the end of the day to save the day. It pisses people off and there are so many that do it. I'm sure there are people that are listening here that do it. I know I've done it before. feels really good at the time because, you know, you might get in the local weekly newsletter for your business. You might, uh, you might win an award, 
whatever it might be. But as you're up there we're getting that award, there'll be a lot of people who'll be standing there in the crowd, highly pissed off with you that you've taken the credit and you've been in the photo, whereas you should have been taking the photo. So you have a choice here to make is, are you gonna be the one taking the photo and giving the credit to those who deserve it? Or are you gonna be the person who gets in the photo and takes the credit of the great work of others? It's something for you to really think about. And then the last one, number 10, is about experimentation. I'd love to finish with this one. Any of this work of being human, it's got to start with you. So in essence, I say that you are the experiment. This is my I told you so. You are the experiment. So experiment with things. Try different things. Try safe experiments. Mix things up a little bit. Don't be so predictable. Change the way that you turn up. Don't try and be in the photo all the time. Start to use some different language. Start to do things differently. Start to allow your people to step into your space where you've always been the one who's been front and centre in the spotlight. If you don't experiment on yourself, you don't have the right, I believe, to use others in your team as those that you experiment with or experiment on. So you've got to start with yourself, thinking about something about yourself that you'd like to experiment with. An experiment that I ran way back in, uh, in my days at Aussie Post at the end was the experiment based around answering a very simple question, which was, what would happen if I treated my people like human beings? And that was really interesting because it's not something I'd thought of before. It was very new to me. You know, I always talked about how people were the most important thing and all that sort of rah-rah stuff that I talked about earlier, the weasel words and all these things that we use. But when it became an experiment, the first thing I had to look at was what was I going to experiment with? And that was trust. And the experiment that I ran there was to see what would happen if I gave people trust without them having to earn it. Really bloody hard to do. Simple to say it, hard to do it. Scary as all get out. I remember at times thinking I'd actually pissed these people off before or they'd pissed me off before. So how could this work? But when you trust implicitly, what I found is setting myself in that space to be the experiment, when I trusted implicitly, I had a lot more energy to worry about other things and not about whether or not people were doing a good job, they were capable of doing what they needed to do, so they'd make me look good in front of my boss. So have a think about it this way, fellow humans. What are you experimenting with at the moment about yourself? What is a question that you're trying to answer to collect some data on, some confirming data or some disconfirming data to help you work through some sort of hypotheses. Because if you don't start with yourself, you can't then do the work with your team or experiment in the organisation. It must start with you. So they're my 10 I told you so's. Uh, and again, I said they're in my, uh, in my second book. There are a lot of reflective questions in that book as well that you can have a look at and you can ask yourself around some other I told you so statements. But I guess my message of today is, first of all, thinking about the context of the I told you so, where do you use it most? Are you using it in a group setting? And are you doing that to make yourself look good? To prove to others that you are right, that the way you've done things is always been the best way to do them? and that they're wrong and that they're stupid 
and that we should never have gone down that pathway. And I told you so, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Or are you using it in the more courageous and I say leadership focused way and looking back at yourself and in those moments where you are not listening to your gut, where you're not tapping into your intuition, taking note of those first impressions, those feelings that are usually happening below the neck, and then things don't go as you would have hoped they would because you didn't listen to those things. And then the question came to you, I told you so, are you then ignoring that question and pushing it away or are you stepping into it courageously and looking to change yourself? Are you working with the external I told you so or are you working with the internal I told you so? That's a great place for us to finish. Hope you've enjoyed this. Hope you've got something out of it and I hope you go back and have a look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, I told you so. So there you go. Um, I guess my last point today was about the experiment, that you are the experiment. And um, that was an experiment today, running an experiment on myself, with myself, for myself, and by myself to see what would happen. Could this work? Is it something that may be uncomfortable? Absolutely, it did, because I just had to talk the whole way through, but it was an experiment. And I do keep hearing a voice that says to me, I told you so. I told you you should be running more experiments, Mark. You're not running enough. So this is one of those. There'll be some others that happen um, not just through this podcast, but through the work that I do. There's some exciting experiments that are coming up soon, including the launch of a um, what I think is a brilliant, uh, of course I would because it's uh, mine, a brilliant online human manager experience. So keep an eye out for that that's coming up soon. But, you know, running experiments like this, continuing to check in on myself, am I using I told you so's in a group to stand out, to, to show my expertise, to show that I'm the smartest person in the room, you know, that I've got the, the most knowledge, I've got the fanciest title, that I've got all these things that gives me the right to say to other people, I told you that wouldn't work. I told you, you would, that would be a stupid idea. I told you, I told you, I told you. I hear these words so often. Or are you looking at the other way, which is when you've gone against your gut or your intuition? Or we think about some of those things. When you're saying that you're busy, when you're getting in that photo that you shouldn't be in, when you're putting someone into a role that you haven't even asked them if they want to go into that role, when you're using those weasel words or that sort of corporate jargon, do you stop in the moment and just go, I told you so. I told you that wasn't the right way to go, but what made you go there? Hey, if you like this episode, and it is a bit different, get those thumbs out and give it the five-star rating. And if you love to share it with your friends. But until next time, let's keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.